Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois, and I love listening to Vishkana's Creative Control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend, and the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Chad is a gifted and award-winning musician and broadcaster who was born in Kenya, raised in London, Ontario, and currently calls Toronto, Ontario home. The host of the Emmy and Peabody award-winning documentary series Hip Hop Evolution and the former host of the CBC radio program Q, Chad first came to prominence as one of the finest and funniest conscious hip-hop MCs of all time. Since 2005, he has released seven albums, including his latest, a brilliant one, called Tao. Ahead of its release by Secret City Records on October 1st, 2021, Shad returned to this show for a wide-ranging conversation about loving and interviewing the late comedian Norm MacDonald, how sociopolitical discourse has become completely inverted in modern times, hope and nihilism, what Kanye West and Kim Kardashian actually reflect about cultural comprehension and consumption, and the state of Kanye's mystically prescient psyche. How social media's influence on humanity is still new enough to be resisted and refined where necessary. How some of the aforementioned topics are addressed on Tao, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control 
with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 640th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Shad with your host, me, Vish Khanna. After the info I intake, what if I'm fake? What if I break? What if my model is obsolete and gets tossed in a heap and gets washing and sheets? Want to walk on the beach and take off for a week with them jobs? Looking for a job, man. Looking for a job, man. They say that even Steve Jobs can't find a machine that I could be a cog in. This is a Hi, Shad. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. Uh, well, I'm all right. Yeah. Every day I'm a little sad since uh, one of my heroes, Norm MacDonald, passed away, and I know he meant a lot to you as well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, but I was hit by that news too, Vish. Yeah. You know, we're both huge fans, and I listened to your remembrance, I was telling you, Yeah. of Norm. I've been listening to a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah, Bob Saget did a good one. I listened to that one. Oh, I haven't heard that one. I gotta, I gotta hear that one. Yeah, I listened to a bit of Artie Lang, and I listened to the Conan one with Andy Richter. Yeah, and uh, the producer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one is good. Now, yeah. it. Uh, I I first knew that you were a huge Norm fan because mm-hmm. that's you just correct. I'm gonna go for it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to use my memory right now. Yeah, but in my memory, many years ago now. People probably know that you used to host the show Q That's on right. CBC Radio. And they did a thing when they were looking for a host where they they put people on the air for like weeks, like auditioning on air, basically, just trying people out. Yeah. And at some point, it came around to you. And to be frank with you, it's the only show I listen to straight through because I love you and your guest that day. Was Norm McDon- one of your guests that day? I should say was Norm Macdonald. So I yeah. listened to that whole thing, and that was to my memory. That was the only audition you had. So, like yeah. I said, they had some people weeks and weeks of hearing them, or whatever. At least a week, you'd hear someone a week. But I feel like you did one, and then you got the job. Is that right? Um, I no, I guest hosted for a week. Oh, you did a week? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I did yeah. guest host for a week, or at least, or at least four days or something like that it was, Did you? It was okay. a while but norm was at the end of that week oh okay i got it all twisted i'm sorry i thought you got it i thought you did one yeah. and done and they're like that's the guy <laughs> even though other people had been doing it forever and i thought yeah. well that's a testament to you oh, but anyway okay yeah. well, but so so that is something that is astounding to me because he didn't he did a lot of interviews but he also didn't do a lot of interviews how did you feel oh yeah getting to talk to norm yeah like, like, look, the guy is known as the the greatest talk show guest of all ever, time. Of all time, yeah. And so, in my week of hosting this show, my week of hosting any radio program, we get Norm. Like, this is insane, <laughs> you know. So, but beyond that, like, I was just a huge fan. Yeah, I heard it. I heard yeah. it when you were asking him the questions. You picked up on nuances in his comedy mm-hmm. on account of. On like, account, uh, I yeah. remember you, you brought that up, and he, he seemed to enjoy that. 
again, this is my memory. It might might be fuzzy, but that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that day like? Because in my memory, Norm kind of took over the show on some level. Is that fair? Of course. And I was um, I was definitely prepared for that to happen. I was expecting that to happen because he notoriously, as a guest, does not comply with anything or conform to any plan that you might have right so um actually after he he died i was texting a little bit with chris barube who produced that oh yeah chris yeah with norm and i was telling chris like i i think chris sketched out a good plan because the plan that chris had was pretty serious questions reflective questions yeah. And um, so I think it was nice that it, it was kind of grounded in that and I could demonstrate how much I respected him through that. And then I think from there, he, he obviously took it where he took it. There were points in in that interview where he would launch into bits and I would just be dying, <laughs> laughing. But it, it, it felt surreal at the time because he is the greatest talk show guest of all time and because I'm such a huge fan, it felt surreal at the time. I felt so grateful then, and I just feel even more grateful now. And it yeah. makes me think about that short time we got to spend together in conversation differently, knowing that he had cancer. Yeah, that's right. He would have had. What year was this, uh, Shad? Do you remember? That was maybe 2014, maybe late 2014 or early 2015. Yeah. So he, yeah, something like that. So he yeah. had cancer, and when I think about the tenderness that he had for me and the other people that were there. He was very supportive. He was advocating for you to get the job. That's right. On the air, as I recall. Yeah. That's right. I don't, I don't know. Even, is this is this available? Like I haven't listened to it since it, the day it came out. Yeah, you can you can listen to it on on YouTube. Yeah, and I was I was actually texting with Tom Power too about it because Tom got to talk to him um, a yeah. couple years after after I did, and they had a great chat. And Tom's a huge fan. And it was the same way, you know, with Tom, he was, he was so kind. And I think, and you reflected on this too, like, I think when he could tell you really loved him, he loved you too. Yeah. That's the hardest thing for me. So it's a weird thing, right? Because you don't, we have these moments with these people. Uh, In my remembrance, I talked about how I, I really only met him in person once. Uh, but, but because I would cover and, and I told that story and people can listen to it, but basically I got to introduce him on stage for some surreal reason. The promotions company was like, why don't you introduce Norm? And I was like, "What? okay. Like I was a minor, you know, I was a radio three radio person, but I don't think they even knew that I had just reached out. Well, I mean, they must've known that cause I said I have a show and blah, 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 but why they would take the leap from you are someone we do, I'm guessing we don't know you they don't know me but they're like why don't you go on stage it was a very norm incident as as I like when I think on it right but um all this to say that was 2011 I figured out and I loved the guy since like 1992 1993 like the yeah. first time I probably encountered him was on Letterman or and then Conan which I would ardently watch I would record those shows on school nights, obviously they were week weekday shows, and I would watch them the next day. So he, I encountered him, but I didn't. But then when he got on SNL, I fell in love with him. And then I met him like twenty years later or something. And I, as I said on stage, like I talk like Norm. Uh, I do. I, I know it, and I, I you know, I, I don't know. Just on account of the way he talks, you start talking like him, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
And so I, that was it. That was the one time. But then I would cover him and he knew that. Like I would write about him or I would talk about him on CBC or wherever. And he, like you say, he recognized my love for him. And mm-hmm. it's very hard. It's difficult because he's a celebrity. Everyone who loves him is mourning him. But we had these fleeting moments with him, as we do with people in our work, uh, as you've done with your work on hip hop evolution. On in your you you mm-hmm. encounter people, and when they go, that's your moment with them. So I, I've been wrestling yeah. with like to publicly mourn someone for such in, in a deeply personal way when you had these fleeting encounters with them. But at the same time, yeah. you were so immersed in their life and work. Yeah, like in some ways, I know Norm. Better than some of my relatives. Yep. Because I've just... Anyway, I've been wrestling yeah. with that. I don't know. Have you had that? Like, I don't know if you've done a lot of public mourning for Norm that I've seen, but I mean, yeah. I know you, and I, you and I have been texting as well, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a hard yeah. one, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I think the thing that is beautiful to me is that there are certain people like Norm that you love, you know, there, there's greats that pass on and you have great admiration for their work, but you don't feel affection for yeah. them. Norm, yeah. for whatever reason, was a guy that fans felt an affection for. And I, it, it was a mix of how relatable he was and also mysterious he was or something. I don't know what it is, actually, Vish. Like, but, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's partially that... Yeah. He took risks. Mm-hmm. You and I, you know, I, I know some of our shared interests, and we're drawn to the rebellious. Yeah. And we're drawn to the people who don't seem to care about the consequences of their verbal actions on some level. Let's say, let's say yeah. it that way. I'm, I'm not advocating for criminals, but you and I are moral people, Shad. Let's not yes. get it twisted here. But, but Norm did not seem to care about what, the consequences would be of what he said, and he was not afraid to go for it. And to to his detriment, he got fired from Saturday Night Live for the things he basically said. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, this is very commonplace now <laughs> in workplaces. If you say the wrong thing anywhere, they find out and they say, we don't want it. You said something, that's enough. Whether you... what the But he was a comedian, and for a long time, you could get away... It's over now, of course. Comedy is dead. But for a long time, you could be a comedian and say whatever you wanted, and people understood the context was comedy. But so I think it's partially that we, some of us, I think, could kind of live vicariously through him mm. because he was the risk taker. He was the one who went on Conan and Letterman and said outlandish, outrageous things. But also, I like I said in my remembrance, there was always usually a humanity to the crassness. There was a humanity to the harshness. Yeah. So that's why he was relatable. But um, I mean, I yeah. was, you must admit, I've been sharing links, video clips of Norm on on my, the show, my Creative Control Twitter feed about once a day. And there's somewhere I have to stop myself. Like, I'm like, I can't share that one. It doesn't reflect well on him, maybe, because it's dated language or dated. But at the same time, I'm laughing hysterically. So, like, it's to the point where I'm so chicken. <laughs> <laughs> to associate my with some some of his commentary, but it's so genius at the same time. Do you know what I'm where I'm coming from? I think Chris Rock has this too. If you go through his old stuff, like some of it, ugh, yeah, doesn't maybe 
shouldn't resonate as well. Anyway, he said things that a lot of us couldn't say mm-hmm. or wouldn't say, but we appreciated that he said them. Yeah. And they were risky things, and they self they seemed like self-sabotage, which made him more endearing. But I also think we could live vicariously through his rebelliousness. Yes, I think that that's true. I think that that was part of what was admirable about about him. I think that it was always... Like you said, there was always a humanity to it. It was always outrageously funny, which is, I don't know, it just it, it just felt like he did everything in service of making people laugh, including yeah. never disclosing the fact that he was battling cancer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everything was so in service. He was so brilliant, but yeah. that ne- he never allowed that to take precedence over making people laugh there truth were as well truth and an elite the yeah, truth, truth uh, whatever the truth is it, it, it could hurt it could be bad but i think he had a real allegiance to the truth which is i think why he thought comedy was so significant yeah comedy is inherent it's it is the inherent truth that we can't talk about and a lot of again it can be misused it yeah. can be you can use it for evil i yeah. think if you if you if you're not a good person but he i thought he he yeah uh, there's a truth in everything he said and did, which I, I don't want to quote Jack Nicholson, but people mm. can't handle the truth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- and like, I loved I loved how committed he was to his craft. I loved how much he loved his craft, how much he loved writing and words. Yeah, he's very smart. He's incredibly smart. Did you see that thing that came out that he graduated high school at like? 14 and was in university at 16 yeah i saw that you shared that but that like that's not surprising when you look at his writing his book or even his approach to comedy i had a little exchange with him on on cue where we're talking about comedy and if it's an art form and i suggested to him that i think comedy is maybe the highest art form because laughter is such a universal and unifying thing and because comedy can communicate so much in just like one phrase or whatever and he was adamant that comedy is not art it's a craft and he had a beautiful articulation for for why that is why he saw it that way and it was so humble to hear him talk about that like to to hear his humility in that because you know how much he loves writing you know how much he cares about literature and how much he cares about words. And you also know that there's no false modesty in the guy. Like, he's just, he's truly a humble person, was a truly humble person who thought this is how it is. Like, he just really, you admire how much he had his head around what he was doing to the point where he's like, no, comedy's not an art form. You can, it can be layered. You can ha- there. It can be brought to that level, but but fundamentally, it's a craft, and this is why it's a craft. And these these forms of writing are art, and this is why. And uh, and in moments like that, like I don't know, I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but um, but well, all of these, worthy, but these are, it's, a, it's worthy of Norm your ramble, if I might say. All of these things are part to me of part of why I fell in love with the guy. You know. There are so many levels to him. Yeah, but he, I, I get what you're saying. I think he had a total love of language and, and was immersed in in sort of highfalutin philosophical profundity 
However, he would say things like, uh, the other day I was at the zoo and I saw a ape. Exactly. He would, he would, he would change, he would talk, he would, he would alter his diction to sound like a bumpkin. Yes. Or to sound less wise and smart than he was. And I always thought that was fascinating. He's gone on rants about, he had gone on a bunch of rants about why Letterman was a preferable uh, interviewer and critical analyst compared to someone like Bill Maher because Letterman never acted like he was smart. He always acted like a humble Midwestern guy, even though he wasn't, he is incredibly smart. Whereas Maher, people like Bill Maher really want to present themselves as smart. Yeah. That's fascinating in itself. Cause you, I feel like you have this, I, I, there's so many moments on your new record that make me like la- all your records where you go high, you go low with your jokes. And that to me is a, that's the norm in you. Uh, that's, that- that's high praise Vish. I really appreciate that because you know, you know how much I a- admire Norm for that. If, if I do it, he did it on such a higher level. I love how you pointed that out because it's exactly right. He could write the most beautiful, precise thing. And say the most beautiful, or he could say half a hour. Yeah, <laughs> half a hour. I've only been at it for half a hour. Yeah, I can hear him saying that. There's a very famous exchange where Larry—I can't remember the word right now. I'm blanking on it. But Larry King's trying to correct him on a word, uh, and they just—he's like, "What do you mean?" He's just going. He's just adamant that the way he's saying a word. Yeah, that is just fun with English. Yeah. When he says it's a craft, I get it, but he was an artist with language and Yeah. So it's very hard. The mm-hmm. only I, I I appreciate us going in on it because uh this is how we grieve, I think, people mm-hmm. like us. Mm-hmm. Uh it's as we're speaking, it's been uh just over a week or so since uh, the news. So it's still and like I say, I live with it every day. I watch five ten I thought it would be really hard to watch the norm clips, but I'm on a I can't I always did. I, I before he passed, I watched Norm every day. Yeah. Saturday morning, where's Papa? Oh, he's got his phone up there in the bed, and he's just watching Norm clips. So it's bad. I should get up and make everyone breakfast. But I, I he's just always he brightens up my day, yeah. and those appearances on those shows, like you say, are the best. But I want to say this: a couple mm-hmm. things about the Q thing before we leave it. He was kind of notorious for either not doing pre-interviews or rendering the pre-interviews moot. When showtime came. So he might spend time with a segment producer and then you go on the air and you can see like Letterman and Conan in particular, just they knew him enough that they gave up. There's no blue card really, except for whatever, you know, he was plugging. But and Stewart, John Stewart as well, like, screw it. I'm not going to. There's no point. The pre-interview. So I wonder about that. You mentioned Chris Berube. So I'm Mm -hmm. wondering about that on cue. But I also just wonder if you have any insights about Mm -hmm. between the breaks. Uh, we, We heard what we heard. But I wonder if you can mm-hmm. shed insight on those two things. What was he like before the show started with Chris, to your knowledge? Maybe you weren't involved in that. And what mm-hmm. was he like on the show between the red light being on, knowing you were on air? Can you speak to those two things? Yes. I'm not sure if he did a pre-interview. I have a feeling he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> based on your your memory of the experience, I'm it, guessing. Yeah, based on my memory of the experience, I don't think he did a pre-interview I think he came in, you know, just kind of as a favor and, and and on a whim. Like, it was interesting to hear Conan talk about how it was hard to pin him down. Like, they wanted to get him on 
his podcast and he like wouldn't do it he kept kind of like i was like that's so interesting you know well Um, so i I don't mean to. i just not to cut you off there i don't mean to throw you throw myself into this gap you Mm -hmm. and tom power and conan like Mm -hmm. you guys highest order in terms of uh broadcast platforms and all those things but norm and i he followed me on twitter Mm -hmm. and then i like i obviously already followed him and so we followed each other which meant i maybe he had his dms open all the time but it meant we could exchange messages and i would frequently ask him if we could do an interview in fact that night uh, the night after the show in 2011 i asked if i could run home and grab my proper recording equipment and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And then it, I could tell he didn't really want to do it, you know. Yeah. But anyway, on Twitter, so we would DM about it and he'd say, yeah, absolutely. And then even publicly, if I tweeted at him in public, hey, can we chat? He'd retweet it. He'd, he'd, re, like, he'd quote tweet it and say, certainly. So just very publicly saying we would talk. And now this is in the time frame that we now know he had cancer because to mm-hmm. your point conan and andy and everyone on the show was like we tried to pin him down now we know probably why yeah we couldn't he was he was ailing so i had the same experience where he would say i would say great what about thursday yeah thursday maybe let's do that and then wednesday would come around and like what time tomorrow norm gone <laughs> uh so and you know everyone had stories about you text norm spade spade david spade would say hey norm i'm in town you want to hang out and then three weeks later He'd get a text saying, "Hey, what do you want?" Like, so I get. <laughs> so you had that experience, probably. Sorry, I didn't mean to interject, but I desperately wanted to talk to him on the record. Yes, and it never. And he always said we would do it. I mean, we, the last exchanges we had were, was in 2020, and he, it was during the pandemic. And he told me he had been living in Kelowna. He was in the woods wow. at one point, but he had been living in Kelowna, British Columbia. And I was like, and it was asking me a lot about Edmonton because I told him I had moved and it was like, what's that like? And I, I didn't know if he was just making conversation or if he was deciding I'm going to live in Canada wow. for what he maybe thought was the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what he thought was the rest of his short, short, shortened life. Um, sorry, I really interjected there, but I just no. want to say hard to pin down. I, yeah, sorry. You were yeah, saying yes. hard to pin down. No, that's that that's it, it that that totally relates. Yeah, hard, hard to pin down so I'm guessing we didn't get a pre-interview. Yeah. We but I also because I don't remember any notes about oh he said this in the pre-interview. Right. <laughs> I don't remember. It. So that's probably also an indication that there was no pre-interview. Um What I remember between segments or at least before we sat down, I did tell him that I went to see him in Vancouver. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he asked, oh, like, you know, many years ago, like in SNL days or whatever. And I was like, no, like like a year ago. I went to see you like yeah. a year ago. And I do think that changed something, you know, in him um, because he could he could tell, no, I like I'm a I'm a fan. And actually, I'll yeah. tell you, the, the reason I went to see that show was because I went on a long drive with a friend and we were listening to comedy the whole drive. And the first album we put in was somebody had crafted this. It was brilliant. It was like their whole life story wrapped in a comedy show. It was great. It was amazing. And it, you could tell it's like their their life's work. This is like their magnum opus. And then we put in Norm. And Norm just says something about how he doesn't understand the business section and how he likes the NASDAQ when it's up. <laughs> not, not when it's down. Uh-huh. He, likes it yeah. when it, he likes it when it goes up. Yeah. And... Uh, I had to pull over the car, V. 
I had to pull over the car. It wasn't safe yeah. for me to drive. I was laughing yeah. so hard. The more I, yeah. he had gone on to a couple minutes later, but I kept thinking about him saying, ah, oh, down. Oh, I like when it's up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I had to, I had to buy a ticket. And it was all the old time, like on account of and, and stuff like that. And so, um, the old way of talking. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so the, all I remember from our talking between segments or before was that, and I also remember how tender he was. Like after that, he was, "Hey, love you, Shad," and you know, "I love you, Norm." Like, and yeah, he yeah. talked in that kind of language. And when I look back at it now, it's like, yeah, that's a tenderness that comes with age, I think, and a tenderness that comes with knowing that you might not have all the time in the world, and you want to make sure that you you know share your feelings so uh yeah i think i think the public firing hurt him hmm. uh i think he felt really you know he would never admit it i don't know this from anyone else my assessment is because if you watch weekend update and his comedy up to that point he was a very hard guy hmm. uh, almost like the sentiment that you're talking about might have come from age but i think when he started to feel that love after that rejection from Letterman a lot of the times and Conan a lot of the times. But from people like you and me, he was like, okay. Like it actually did resonate with him hmm. when you said to him or conveyed to him via a review or saying you went to his show. He viewed that as love. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, when I was talking about, uh, I did a similar kind of remembrance episode about my, about David Berman from Silver Jews and, I I articulated something that I've been thinking about, and I think sometimes when I invite people onto my show, the subtext is "I love you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the subtext is "I." Uh, that meets that. That's not true. I don't think of a lot of network television or radio because it's just a hamster wheel. Yeah. But this thing that I do is, or the things I do, I think I'm a critic, but I'm a fan. So I've stopped writing hatchet pieces when I'm assigned something because I don't have to. Mm -hmm. I have my own ability to just talk to or about whatever I want. And I've decided to spend my time expressing love uh, for things mostly. Well, not being totally uncritical, but like, so my point is, I think when I would write lovingly about him or his, his Netflix show or his whatever it is, he in inter- and when you said I saw you in Vancouver a year ago, to me, for him, that was I love you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so then at the end of the interview or conversations, yeah, I love you. Yeah, I sent I, I you might might have seen this and I felt a little sheepish about it. I shared a screen. I did a screenshot of a tweet exchange between Norm and I, and I had sent him. It was by the way he had it was just classic Norm. About to launch his Netflix show, decides to go on talk shows and defend or, or or try to speak to what he thought the hardship for people like Louis C.K. and Roseanne was at the time, just as his show is launching. Yeah. So it killed all momentum for the show. So I sent him and I had already written a review of the show, exclaimed to greet, you know, it was this cancel culture stuff was going on, but he and he was really being what you remember that people really went at him. A couple years ago. I, I don't... It, vaguely. Vaguely. Yeah. yeah. I know. We'll, we'll talk about this when we get into your record. I know you mm. unplug. 
yeah. uh, from <laughs> the machines as much as you can. But uh, anyway, I had already written this review and it was up and I sent it to him when he was very low. Yeah. And I shared this exchange because his comment back to me after sending him a review, which I get it, like it might seem sycophantic or uh, like you're, you're just, you know, to me, that's Norm, I love you. I wrote about your show. But I can see other people being like, of course you sent that to him. You kiss ass or whatever the hell, you know. But I didn't think of it that way. I just like my the guy, my guy is low. Yeah. I've already written this loving thing about his train wreck of a Netflix talk show and I sent it to him and he wrote back something like thank you Vish thank you you are a true friend hmm that to me is a, a recognition of not only love but loyalty to him yeah and I think he so when you say I saw you a year ago not when you were on the biggest star on television on comedy of comedy and television I saw you a year ago that's a loyalty you expressed too so yep yep and yeah i yeah i hear a lot what you're saying vish i mean first of all it's like that's why i love your podcast oh thanks because it really is effortless in in that in that sense of you're interested in every guest this isn't uh it's not a homework assignment for you and i don't think it's antithetical to being a music critic or a journalist to be coming from a place of love and that that connects to what we're talking about with norm too you know yeah. he was coming from a place of love with what he was doing love for his craft love for his audience like you and me yeah and that didn't make him any less of a comic and in fact he had you know all his criticisms of bill maher and and other com- like he didn't like mean-spirited smug stuff he hated that yeah so yeah that's uh that's what we're all trying to do is come from a good place with what we're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, I appreciate this. It, it is, it's the hardest one, you mm-hmm. know, to your earlier point, like when David Bowie goes. Yep. We all love David Bowie. I love David Bowie. And it's not because we didn't have this personal connection either, but I, I, guess, I guess I'll say I wasn't in love with David Bowie. I appreciated David Bowie. I admired him. I recognized that he changed things. But Norm this comedian this nightclub comic as he called himself just had this profound effect on a whole generation of us and it's uh yeah it's very difficult anyway and and i will yeah. say that the flow of the universe for me has been disrupted with him gone like i feel like when a comedian of his stature and power goes the world is literally a sadder place there's a person who made me laugh yeah that is gone and so this could be a nice segue into a record called Dow. Let's do it. What do you think? I think it's great. I think it's perfect. (laughs) Why, first of all, so the the title is Dow, and and, uh, it it comes up on the record uh, periodically. You've sort of uh, created these pieces with that Mm -hmm. title, and there's different parts. What what was it about that that, uh, term and its meaning that resonated with you? So I was trying to come up with a title for the album, and it was tricky because... The album is about everything. You know, it's about connection to every aspect of who we are and connection to each other. So I was trying to come up with a title and I settled on Tao because it's an acronym found in a couple books that happened to be the two texts I would say that like inf- that I was thinking about the most while I was writing. 
the age of surveillance capitalism and the abolition of man. Hmm. And then like the Tao as well, which is discussed actually in the abolition of man. So I was like, okay, this is, I like this. I like this as the title. It has a heavy spiritual connotation. And like I said, the album to me is about everything and the connection of everything. So it, it is spiritual. And then, and then it contains these two acronyms too. So, you know, there's an element of mystery to it, an element of spirituality to it. I was like, this this works for me as a title. You are someone who has made your, you know, your faith public, but I hear in the lyrics here your faith breaking a little bit, not just mm-hmm. in a sort of whatever spiritual or religious sense, but in people, which is not like you. I think of you as a very optimistic. And I'm, by the way, if this is a wrong, I don't want to mischaracterize you either, but I hear your questioning of what we're doing mm-hmm. and what it means in the grand scheme of things. And in the faith context, why is this being allowed to happen? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crumbling going on there that I pick up on. What do you make of that? 100%. I mean, the album was inspired by this image that occurred to me, this metaphor for us crumbling, for us breaking apart and crumbling within ourselves and and between each other. And I think that image describes what's happening is what is very obviously happening. So I am worried. I am worried. And I don't know, I don't have any answers as far as what we should do. But I do think part of the answer is in us. We can't do it on our own. When we live in such an individualistic society where we're kind of told to do it on our own, like you fix yeah. your life then, you know, it's like, no, that's not, it, that can't work that way. We kind of have to do it together. And so I would say, Vish, like I have hope and I, and I maybe even believe more than ever in the need for connection and in the need for, um, like deep connection spiritual for lack of a better term you know even though it's a very unfashionable term but i and i believe in that and i believe in the potential of that but a lot of the album is describing what i'm seeing too you know and what i'm seeing is the crumbling the alienation the fragmentation that's what i'm seeing that's where we're that's where we are and where we're heading well that's i feel like that polarization that you're talking about it's where we've been Mm-hmm. This pandemic has really exacerbated things. Here's a thing I'm wrestling with, and I don't expect, I don't know what you make of it. Mm-hmm. But I've never really thought about it this way, but it just occurred to me as I was talking to my wife the other day. We're in a weird zone now where I feel like there are as many as, as much as there's like so much fragmentation and different factions of thought. And obviously, there's so many different religions, there's so many different political ideologies now. Uh, there's so many things that that actually do impact uh, universal policymaking, uh, yeah. if you will. Um, and it's all because of the fragmentation. Well, we want to do this, but then there's like five groups that won't abide by it, so we're kind of screwed to get everyone on the same page. But what I'm wrestling with is, I feel like there are people who have put their faith in their own belief systems, which are more or less tied to invisible things conspiracy theories, religious doctrines, some sort of self-belief, gut feeling. Mm-hmm. And those people are having an equal impact on the people who believe in tangible, visible things like science and facts, 
and things that we can all like this vaccine, for example, does work. But there's a whole other faction that just says, I don't I choose. I I see what you're showing me. Yeah. But I choose not to see what you're showing me and instead counter with something that I'm seeing that I can't show you. Yes. So that is my uh, that might be really trite, but that's where I'm coming from. I'm like, I've never seen it where we're that's how are how is this given equal representation? Yeah. That the people saying the thing that I can't show you and prove is just as valid as the thing that you're showing me and can prove. Yeah. I don't even have a question here, but does that (laughs) theory does that does that concept resonate with you? Yeah, it's uh, it does. And it feels like unprecedented in our lifetime. So, for example, I had an experience a a couple months ago where I was driving in the car and on the CBC radio, they had, I think, like the top medical, whatever, COVID person answering calls and speaking. It was like real public service radio. Like this guy's on for two hours. He's going to give us the update and he's going to answer your questions. And he was trying to talk as clearly as possible about how, look, there's like 200 people in the ICUs, seven are double vaccinated. The rest are not. So we know that the vaccine is effective. And if you think about how many, uh, the percentage of people that are double vaccinated, which is at that point was pretty high, then what that really means is you are 30 times less likely to be hospitalized if you're double vaccinated. So, you know, just to hear him speak in these super clear terms and we're talking about math that couldn't be more simple you know seven out of 200 out of uh, 93 percent 93 percent versus seven percent let's just say yeah yeah, exactly you know yeah and yet as a society we still can't agree on what that means and it makes me think about well what's what's really going on yeah because there's no challenge in understanding that it's so there's something else else that's going on and I've heard people talk about, and I think this is true, like people are frustrated and people are afraid for legitimate Mm -hmm. reasons. And then, but then it plays out in these little petty, silly things. You know what I mean? And people, where people decide this is where I'm taking a stand. And it's like, that's not the place to take a stand. (laughs) That is small. That is insignificant. That is actually counterproductive, whatever. But, like your your frustration is real and legitimate and your fear is real and legitimate but like because we can't i think at bottom maybe vish like the problem is that we can't talk about we're like not really allowed to talk about feelings and we don't know how to talk about feelings and so yeah. everything gets yeah what's the word sublimated or whatever into these other things critical race theory or whatever it's like that's yeah. not the thing you know that's not the thing yeah there's some cult yeah i think there's some culpability in in what the media elevates yeah um and i don't mean to be like the media like i hate Mm. to be that person but why why do these why do these perspectives have equal footing yes what i'm saying like why why would we i also think there's a weird evolution of anti-authority because it used to be that the the progressive punks would be like f the government f authority uh, i don't believe in god even like i'm not yeah. going to be living in a punitive place where i have to behave a certain way to get my points into 
society, into your concept of heaven. It's gone the other way now, where the people who are the most uh, straight-laced and seem to be, I'm just generalizing, Mm -hmm. obviously, but the people who tend to be pro-police, pro-government, or not pro-government, pro-police, let's say, and pro, you have to behave a certain way in order to make it to the next life in good standing. It's all flipped around. Like Those people are like, F all authority, I can do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter because I know I'm going to heaven no matter what, and you're not. That's like there's. I think there's a real thing yep. happening with that. And then the other side is like we should probably the punks are like, and the progressives are like we should probably listen to the government. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, like it's the yeah, exact yeah. opposite. So like it's not only polarization. It's to me this weird reversal. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Inversion. It, yeah. It, it, no, it's like it's almost like a total inversion. And for me and you especially, I think, like given the the age that we're at, it's like it makes the conversation very difficult to have because all the terms that I learned growing up now mean the opposite. Yes. Right? So the term conservative, for example, that I learned growing up meant the opposite of what we just saw with storming the Capitol. Yes, exactly. That's a very radical act. That is absolutely, you know, and, you know, you could argue vice versa as well. Like a lot. Yeah. Like you were just saying that this sort of like, yeah, now liberal has come to mean something completely different. Capitalism. Yeah. When I was growing up, true or not, I was told it was kind of this idea basically of you work and then you get something. Yes, exactly. Well, now what it is is the opposite of that the only things that make a lot of money are involve not working they involve owning the things and the more you work the jobs that involve the most working and the most kind of essential work make absolutely the least money and in the case of like migrant workers or whatever you don't even get rights so you know it's like it's it is this complete inversion and it makes the discourse to me impossible it's I nihilism. I, I think the I, only yeah. common ideology is is everyone has a certain semblance of nihilism within them, and yeah. that's where I'm. That's what I'm seeing. Like that's why there's not like in that concept I just allum- I tried yeah. to articulate, which is the first time I've tried. By the way, besides talking to my wife, mm-hmm. I hope it made sense. That invisible, visible facts. Yes, whatever. yes. Within all of that, I think is this nihilism. Like mm-hmm. I, I like nothing matters. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to say what anyway, which is. How do you break? How do you come together if yeah. that's the table that's been set? Like exactly. I, 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 yeah. Exactly. So then that's the table that's set, and then furthermore, at that table, all the important words have either no precise me- either began with no precise meaning, like political correctness or whatever. Either they began with no precise meaning, or now they have no precise meaning, like conservative or liberal or capitalist. Like, now they have a totally different meaning depending on what you think in your brain you mean. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that is the situation, you know? And it doesn't seem to be (laughs) improving. It seems to be getting worse. But at the same time, I have hope. I don't know why... But I just you do. know what you, may I say you, yeah. you, you know why you know why you do because you have children that's the yeah. only <laughs> by the way how many children do you have now I got two congratulations I don't Thank think you. I've really talked to you since you had the the second child there everything's going well there everything is is going good they're uh, they're a pleasure to be around every day and I am around yeah. them every day now um, yes that's right yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I also think part of it is that I do love people and yeah. I think most people love people. Yeah. If we can if we can get together, we're inclined towards one another. We're inclined to like one another if we can get together, if we can get in the same room. Yeah. And I think the album I'm trying to get at some of the stuff that like uh, I'm struggling to I'm struggling to say it, but I I feel like it's there. I feel like it's there in our collective memory. You know, even on the topic of of faith, of religion, it's like there is a lot that's there that in my personal experience is so humanizing and yeah. connecting as opposed to dehumanizing and like you're talking about kind of making us nihilistic and saying this life doesn't matter you know yeah um there's so much in there that's ancient wisdom about how to bring people together and how mm. to remember our our shared humanity and the best our best values and our best wisdom you know so it's it's there i think we've forgotten a lot of it and we have to make sure that it isn't completely lost from mm-hmm. from memory but i think what we need is here and it's between all of us but the situation that we've fallen into is like i saw this ad for this new show i'm sure you saw it called the activist oh Did yeah you see that? yeah, it, yeah. it's like it's like american idol but activism yes and i saw it and i was just like I don't like living in this satire anymore. This is not good. Like, I don't like it. Like, we well, need to stop this. Don't, and I don't you know, feel yeah. like, hasn't the pandemic heightened the fact that we are a bit desensitized to death and people's actual illness? Like, I yeah, I think people go, like, you and I just had a really heartfelt conversation about one guy dying and how mm-hmm. much that hit us. But at the same time... There's like 2,000 people a day dying in America. There's people dying in my province every day, more mm-hmm. than a few. And at some point, it, we accept that death is part of life, but I'm also starting to see like these tragedies don't... You would think we would change our behavior based on those things. Yeah. But I don't think the general public really does. Even when it hits... I don't know. Like, I think mm-hmm. if it hits your family or you, obviously, uh, you mm-hmm. illness or death, you, on the one hand, you're you're shocked. On the other, you accept that that's just a part of the deal of living. Yeah. But but I'm watching what's happening in this pandemic, and you talk about how we're, there's humanity. I'm also seeing the decision-making by policymakers and the general public suggesting they don't care about that. Yeah. It doesn't matter to them. I have a friend who's not an anti-vaxxer, who kind of treating this like Darwinism. Well, those people are the ones who aren't... The, if the unvaxxed are going to go, they're going to go. And I'm like, that's pretty callous. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's that's pretty callous. Like, there are people who think that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, sorry, man. Mm-hmm. You're yeah, a no, You know, but you're, you're right. Like, what we're talking about is the situation now, which is, it's a crisis. Yeah. It is a crisis. It's absolutely a crisis. Everything we just described spells it out like i also think uh, often about um when dave Chappelle was on inside the actor's studio and he had this moment where he's talking about when he went to africa yeah and what caused that and he goes into the story about martin lawrence and martin lawrence um having a breakdown and going out in the middle of traffic in la and 
waving a gun around and stuff. And, and what he said was like, look, Martin Lawrence, myself, being Dave Chappelle, like we're strong people. You, you don't get to where we get to without being a strong person. So if we're breaking down, like you have to ask, like, are we sick or is it the environment that's sick? And I think the same thing is true right now, you know, uh, to your to your kind of question of like, of like, do we do we get it? Do we understand how far we've fallen? And I think maybe not, but I think that we're close because the, the question to me is like, are we sick or is the environment sick? Everything in our society sort of tells us, OK, you worry about your self-care. You worry about your uh, mental health. You worry about it's like, but no, like this is a problem across the board. So it's the environment that's sick. Yeah. It's the environment that's sick. Anyhow, uh, maybe that's like a, a, a bit of a tangent. I do think we're getting close to a point of recognizing that we need more imagination. We need more connection. We need more humanity. We need a, a pretty radical rethinking of what we're doing. And I just have hope that it's that we can do it. That, it's super fascinating that that collection of words. Because as you're speaking about humanity, as we're talking about inversion, one of the recurring figures to me on your new record is Kanye West, hmm. who I think is oddly this weird avatar for yep. change in the 21st century. Here's a guy who I think, and everything we've just been talking about, has reflected all of that. The humanity, the nihilism, the sickness. You yes. mentioned Dave Chappelle. You mentioned Martin Lawrence. Kanye is someone who a lot of us have loved. He's made it very hard to love him. On your new record, there's... Let me pick out one example here of... Uh, what song is it? Is it... It's not Slot Machines, I don't think. There's a song... Oh, it is... Or yeah, Slot Machines has two different parts, right? Yeah. That's the one that... Right. There's a couple of paraphrased moments here where you conjure Kanye. Couldn't afford a laptop, named her daughter Adele. Yeah. Which is a <laughs> reference to a similar line of his about someone naming their daughter Alexis uh, instead of being able to afford an Alexis. Shorty dropped out of college around the college dropout. That's his brilliant debut record. Kanye, to me, is a difficult figure to love now, but I, I was talking to DJ SB about it, and they were expressing how much empathy they had for him. And in a weird way, like I say, do you view him as like a weird bellwether of everything? Like this, there's something about his being yes. that seems to capture the zeitgeist. He's like a magical... I'm not saying he's Jesus or <laughs> Jesus, but there's something about him where I'm like, what we've all... We've just spent a lot of time talking about various things, whether it's Norm or this. He seems to capture a lot of... Mm -hmm what we're talking about does that oh, make sense oh a hundred a hundred percent him and uh and kim kardashian to me hmm i think i stumbled on kim kardashian's wiki entry one time uh-huh and i was like this is like a russian classic novel in the way that you can just like trace the descent of our our culture through or maybe dissent isn't the right word but yeah kind of like the decline but also just all the different shifts and stuff through her life and career but but it has this tragic element to it because she was born 
into, you know, the, the OJ trial. Well, yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. just so people understand, her father, Robert Kardashian, was one of the, was on the legal team for OJ. That's right. OJ. That's right. Yeah. Which a lot of people say is also the beginning of reality TV, 24 hour news, that type of thing. Yeah. In this affluent part of LA and her life also kind of coincides with everything but definitely Kanye now the interesting thing if you think of Kanye as an avatar for all this stuff is that like is how he was sort of in control of it and kind of steering it while also being a part of it and then it seems like he lost control or it was steering more than him to me somewhere along the way. So I always think about this point where he got together with Kim and really embraced social media and really embraced reality TV because in this great Kanye way that I've always admired, he's like, I want to be where people are. Like he's a populist in the good sense of the term, right? Like I want to be where the people are and bring the best stuff there. That's I don't what look, he was like. That's, that's what, what he, he was was always like. But then at a certain point, it, but it's a dangerous game, right? Most people can't do it. Kanye did it at his peak as as well as probably anybody ever has in terms of like bringing the best. But then I feel like it's a it's a dangerous game, and we've watched the last few years. Yeah, like the danger of that game. Yeah, I think he. You talk about a crumbling, and I mean, I know he has very deep mental health issues but i really can't get over the fact that here's a guy who took a moment on television to say that george bush doesn't care about black people yeah to write lyrics like i know the government administers aids to being a pro-trump pro whatever but i think to your point when i think on what the last five years have been for kanye i don't even know if he was pro-trump pro-republican i think he was pro-social media and reality tv Mm-hmm. Who am I going to get behind in this election? The guy who's a re- reality TV star, capitalist icon, and also hilariously a joke. Yes. Like, not hilarious, but is a joke. Mm-hmm. That's what he chose to get behind. And in his own twisted way, that's the stuff he loves. He loves the crass capitalism, he loves the idiocy. Because I think he his mother was a professor, right? Yep. It's not an accident that he everything we know about Kanye is in the is on his sleeve. Like the first three records are about how he didn't go to school, and how I think he felt like he disappointed his mother, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that, mm-hmm. and so that's just an extreme level of pain. And then he never felt like he ever made it up to her even mm. though he was this massive star. Now, you know, as we're speaking, his latest record is called Donda. He has basically been, sadly, a mess since she passed away. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's real pain and trauma. And and there, then he became a true nihilist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and whether that's because of his bipolarity or not. But when he lost his mother, I think he gave up on the one hand yeah. and gave up caring about what anyone thought. Whereas I think he was hilarious and he could still be hilarious but he got mean-spirited as well anyway yeah he's no, on and, your and, record and, and he uh and he he was always 
upfront about how he's been shaped by these very different forces, right? Yeah. Like intellectual Black Panther mother and and father, and then on the other hand, Michael Jackson and pop culture and just wanting to be a star and wanting to shine and and the, all those impulses that come out of our society, right? Like he from from the first yeah. album, he was always upfront about he is a mix of these two forces and the way he brought them together was so exciting so inspiring like you said all these moments at like the hurricane katrina fundraiser and and these lyrics that just cut to the core of our society and 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 the racism and all these things that we take for granted like and he still has those flashes of brilliance but playing that dangerous game of basically wanting to be Michael Jackson and Fred Hampton, but but he also at the same time like has. But to be, he also yeah. yeah, but he also wanted to be a heel. Yeah, so he came out wanting to be a hero, but then he kind of adopted this. No publicity is bad publicity, I guess. But also, like I'm also going to provoke people as a heel. Yes, and I find that really heartbreaking. Like mm-hmm. trolling us constantly. Like going from entertaining us as a provocateur to disappointing us as a provocateur yeah purposefully is a strange strange trajectory and you know i don't know exactly what's going on but you Mm -hmm. get into this kind of stuff throughout this record social media technology there are lines on uh tau part one the dumb down get amplified via algorithms. That's anything but randomized. Like you suggest that this is deliberate. Later on uh, in slot machines, this click, it's funny how we broke and they selling us a quick fix, selling us addictions and sickness, the business of to sugar, fat likes and alike. It's no different than slot machines. Like, yeah, this yeah. is real commentary on what deleted dan this is later sorry i'm just bumping around on slow these are great brilliant songs they're very funny and i don't mean to dwell on the more critical aspects but deleted damn ig instagram everyone front like bosses franchises something's going on i'm sorry we cyborgs mm-hmm. like you, you you're hitting on it you're hitting on what this is a very contemporary record but it's also very much mired in what the hell are we doing all the time? What yeah. are we doing with this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, can we decide? You know what I mean? Like, so, because I'm of an age where I remember before. And so this stuff is still new to me. I'm not like, oh, this is the way things are and the way they always have been and the way they always have to be. I'm like, no, no, no. This is super new, but old enough that we can see some of the impacts already. The impacts to everything from mental health to journalism and public discourse so can we decide can we decide what we like and what we don't and what's been good and what's been bad and make sure this stuff serves humanity just like everything should just like any company or industry or thing should be you know regulated to do because this is not outside of our power at least it should not be yeah you know you're kind of getting at how the vapid are being elevated, but there's an audience for it. That's the more troubling part for me. Like I, I don't mean to use market speak, but what you're saying is true. But the market, if you will, yeah. the consumption dictates whether we something's in front of our face all the time. 
Yeah. So we've seen so many things come and go in this technological age where Facebook buys various companies and then they go down, like Vine comes to mind or whatever, like all these kind of social media apps come and go. But the ones we've stuck with, the market has decided Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok right now are the ones we're using. And so we all have to be like, are you using it? Are you doing it? Are you yeah. watching the Netflix show? Are you blah, 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 blah. So you're just constantly like that. But I also don't know if this is re- this is reflective in the personality. Like people are maybe presenting themselves. This is weirdly going back to norm as well. Mm. But people are maybe more willing to present themselves as dumb. Yeah. As kind of like, haha, like it's a joke. But the audience and the market is impressionable enough to be like, I'm going with the dumb person. Yeah. The dumb person who says the dumb thing, I'm going with them. But when that dumb person elevates it from like, I put chocolate syrup in my spaghetti, here's a photo of it, to I don't believe masks work. And I don't think you should get a vaccine. They've got this cohort of audiences like, right, the dumb guy is uh, telling me that now. So I'm going to go with that. So yeah. that's where I'm like, this is really bad. And I feel like I'm reading between the lines here. But there are various points on your new record where you're going after some aspect of that, right? The influence, yeah. the, the the dangerous aspect of influencing across media platforms. Yeah, just the way, yeah, just the way the culture is being shaped by this stuff, not in a way that we decided is good. It's in a way that the companies decided is good for their bottom line. And we have a right and even an obligation to evaluate that and decide what we want. Because some of this is helpful and is working and is fun or whatever, and some of it is not. I I always think of, to take it away from social media but still on technology, I always think of this experience I had when we were filming for Hip Hop Evolution in L.A. And we got from cold Toronto to beautiful L.A., and we got to our Airbnb, and it was beautiful, and it was right off of a Sunset Strip. And my instinct, the thing that came out of my mouth as soon as we dropped our bags down, was, whew, let's order some Uber Eats. Uh-huh. And then I thought about it for a second. I was like, so what am I trying to avoid here? Like, what is the convenience? <laughs> you know, What am I trying to circumvent? Going outside into the fresh air? And California sun at magic hour? Is that what I'm trying to avoid? Is it the new experience? Rare new experience I'm trying to avoid? Is it human contact? Is it using my body in a <laughs> light? You know, what's the what? <laughs> this isn't this isn't good. All these like if this is supposed to be a convenience. Are all these things inconveniences? Fresh air, other people, my own body. So, but, but at the same time, my impulse was to just sit down and order Uber Eats. So, what that says to me is I have some instincts that I need some safeguards from. Yeah. And we probably need safeguards from because they are not good for our humanity and for our our yeah. connection and so i just think in general we got to look at this all of this very new stuff through that lens and go hey what's good and what's bad and what can we do to put some 
guardrails on ourselves, on these companies, whatever, just to make sure, because they're so powerful, Vish. Like, my dad worked for GM when I was growing up, and that was the biggest company in the world at the time, in the 90s. I know, yeah. And yeah. if you told me there'd be a bigger company called Google, I'd be like, okay, is that going to be like another auto manufacturer? And if you were like, no, they're going to have all human knowledge. It, again, we've talked about humanity uh, throughout this conversation, and where you're landing, I think, is really fascinating because you're you're talking about dehuman dehumanization. When I say mm. we, when I said earlier, we are desensitized to death. That also means we're desensitized to other lives. Mm. And when I drive, I used to, I use this analogy all the time. When I used to have to drive from Guelph to Toronto when I lived in Ontario, I could tell societally we were getting worse and worse by the way people drove. Because basically people on that stretch of road and the highway would drive like everyone in front of them was in their way. Yep. An obstacle to them getting to what they wanted and needed, whether it was right or not, whether they really needed to get to wherever they got for any greater good, I don't know. Yep. But we view everyone as an obstacle. So the rise... It's pro- it's not surprising to me that we spent, most of us anyway, 12, 14 months in virtual life isolation. And as soon as things began to open up, you heard about an unprecedented number of fights at basketball games, NBA basketball games, people throwing stuff at the players more than they ever had, mm-hmm. assaulting them, people getting in fights on airplanes. I've never witnessed a fight on an airplane. Every week there's a, a video of someone getting in a verbal altercation or physical altercation on an airplane. We isol- we don't people don't know how to behave with one another and the social media vitriol that you can sort of send off somewhat anonymously and harmlessly you think is starting to end up in the real world. Yes. People are treating people like they used to treat them in the comment section in real life. And I think the way people are behaving during this pandemic is really exemplifying that as well. Mm-hmm. I I have such disdain for human life. I'm going to order Uber Eats so I don't have to interact with anyone. No offense to you. I'm going to yeah. order all my shit to come to my house so I don't have to go to the store down the street. Sorry, I'm very negative. I guess, but I'm no, also no. trying to tell the truth. Yeah, no, that's that's it. This is this is where we're at, and I think, yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to say <laughs> with the album is is say one, this is where we're at, and B, it doesn't have to be. Yes, but it's not going to change. From I think every like our society tries to tell us every individual doing their little thing i think it changes when we kind of come together and we make some decisions and i think this is a time to look at the fundamental questions of what do we think a human being is and what do we want human life to be you know yeah yeah i think also in terms of relatedly it's made me think about our country we just had a election and maybe that made sense. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe it made sense. But I think about the election in the context of the J- July 1st we just had, where we collectively decided not to celebrate. Yeah, right. Right? So this is where we're at. We're, we, we need to answer some questions. 
We need to answer some fundamental questions about who we want to be and what we can be proud of mm-hmm. as individuals, as a society. Like, I don't know. I think that's where we're at. I, I agree. And just for context for people listening outside of Canada, mm-hmm. July 1st is Canada Day. And this year, 2021, there was a real outcry about why we would possibly celebrate and commemorate Canada Day, given our country's atrocious history uh, in their treatment of indigenous people. And so there was enough of an outcry that various places around the country said, we're not celebrating Canada Day. Yes. Instead, we're going to reflect on our violent and racist history, which was a real, to me, like some people still are like, that's not enough. And I get that. But I think the fact that even that even, and of course, the people who oppose such thinking and reflection came out of the woodwork and they said they're closed-minded racist shit and whatever. Yeah. That's the way the world works. It's the democracy. You can say what you want. But the fact that there was enough people, or rather enough counties and regions and cities and provinces to say, you know what? We agree. Yeah, We agree with this sentiment. We are going to make a statement about this by not doing what we, the status quo. Yeah. So I believe in that yes. change and I believe in the outspokenness that you're expressing, but I'm also like trying to be realistic and I do think we have to talk about this stuff to get change to happen. So I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not a, Shad, I am not a nihilist. <laughs> I believe in the same things you're talking about. But I also feel like for every measure of, rather for every outcry, you have to kind of look analytically at how people accept everything. Like, yep. it's just like standing in line for a sandwich. How's that going to go? Well, for some people, it's hell and I'm not going to do it. Let me in front of you. Like, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. anyway, but there's that's been going on for a long time. Listen, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm cognizant of our time, and I don't want to keep you much longer, but I just want to ask you about one last thing about this record that stuck out to me. And there's lots of stuff, that, beautiful beats. I love it. Just, by the way, you're all, I love you, as you know, but this fantastic record. Michelle, I was Thank my you. wife, I was playing it today, and she's like, I really like this record, because it's been playing in the house a lot. She's like, I really like this record. She normally doesn't say that, because she yeah. knows when I'm listening to records, so uh, here he goes with his work. But uh, <laughs> And she likes things, don't get me wrong. Anyway, fantastic record. I really Jobs. appreciate that, yeah. No, you're, so. you're, you're welcome. You were talking about hip-hop evolution. We've been talking about your rapping. Mm-hmm. There's a song on here called Jobs that struck me, because mm-hmm. work, you work. often... Work, sorry. Yeah. You're talking about jobs. Jobs, yeah. man. Sorry, yeah, that was yeah. in my head. That's right. Yeah, the yeah. job, it's called, the song is called Work. I apologize. I don't have it in front of me. But anyway, you often uh, adopt narrative voices and, uh, and, and narratives generally. Mm-hmm. But you also talk a lot about yourself, and there's lots of, oh man, there's a joke about jazz <laughs> on this like record. That. What's, what's the line? I, people try to get you to like yeah, jazz. Yeah, people want me to like jazz, but I don't wish I did too many notes. <laughs> Uh, man, oh man, there's so many laugh out loud things on this record, right? Uh, uh, there's a, the thing about Montenegro. Oh my God, there's just I, I, people got to dig in this record because there's so many funny jokes and lines. And uh, R.I.P. Norm Macdonald, you would have loved this record. Uh, my point though is this: when I heard work, mm-hmm. I did it. It was one of the first times where I'm like, wait a minute, this is talking about uh, classism. Probably. It's talking about the workforce. It's mm-hmm. talking about our obsession with content over p- people. But then I was also like, is Shad looking for a job? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the, ref- one of the, ref- what's the refrain? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking for a job. Looking for a job, man. Looking for a job, man. 
Um, yeah. I heard that even Steve Jobs can't find a machine that I could be a cog <laughs> in. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I set out to write that song. Like there were a couple things about the work world that I wanted to to talk about, but yeah, I put it I put it in first person because I can relate. I'm a, I'm a mid career musician, and I've been fortunate enough that things have things have gone pretty well for me. But at the same time, I'm a gigging guy. That's what I do. You know, if the phone doesn't ring, yeah, you know, you've if, had really you've had really cool jobs. I've like, had super cool jobs. I've been super super fortunate. But at the same time, in our business, jobs come and then they go, and yeah. and you're you're always gigging and you're always hoping people are going to be calling you. And so that's always that's always going to be there, and even even uh, as it relates to like we were talking about social media and stuff, in the tech world, I can imagine they they even have that anxiety because Facebook could go the way of MySpace and Apple could go the way of BlackBerry. I'm sure that they all, even as um, multi billion dollar, trillion dollar, whatever corporations, are all still functioning with this mentality of. This could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And so so it wasn't hard for me as fortunate as I've been. It was not hard for me to write that song in first person and yeah. say, you know, and and I wrote that before the pandemic too, you know, and oh, then wow. through, okay. through the pandemic, that. you know, that's that a lean couple years. Uh yeah. Yeah. and again, I've been fortunate enough to be able to survive it, but, you know, I've survived and and now we've landed where exactly you know touring this fall has been sketchy I decided not to tour this fall and try to push that to next year to be in a situation where hopefully things are a bit more stable and because you know imagine I I I definitely would have had Edmonton and Calgary on my tour date list and that wouldn't have happened so yeah so it was not hard to put myself into that song I'm always looking for a job in in one sense or another you know yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Uh, I was thinking about it for some reason as that song was on. Uh, I did a joke thing where you came on to my uh, long night with Vishkana, long winter talk show once. You were very gracious and you came on as a guest. By the way, you've always been very lovely to me and supportive of me. And uh, that means a lot. I really I mean it because I feel uh, a lot like Norm sometimes. Mm. Like, did I. Here's a thing. I don't know if you remember this. I'll, I'm two two quick things. I had to introduce a band at the Polaris Music Prize once. Okay. And it was well into that prize. It was several years into the prize. So it must have been. Uh, I must have done this in uh, 20, 2011, I want to say. And uh, I decided that having watched all, they usually get these writers to introduce the bands, and they're very earnest and sincere. And I didn't like it. And I also had, I will tell you, like, at the time, I was like, all these white people are winning this award all the time. I can't handle this. So I did, in the spirit of Norm, I recognize it now, I did a joke. And I knew that if they, I always said, if they ever ask me to introduce a band, I'm going to do this joke. And it's very off color. But the gist of it was, I was was introducing a band, and there were three white people in the band, two men uh, and two women, identified as such. One, three of them were white. One of them was Asian. So the joke was, uh, I'm so proud to introduce this band uh, and the, because of their record, uh, because they so remind me of why they remind me of why I so enjoy having sex with white people. 
And that was the main joke, and that got a weird react, like a huge reaction. And then I said, based on a quick scan of this room, I know most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I did that part, and then I did the sincere album pitch thing. And then at the end of it, I went, I did a tag, and I did, I went. So right now, here to play a song or four people, I would be more than happy to have sex with at some point. Not you, Katie. Sorry, not you, Katie. Katie was Asian. So everyone's like, boo, boo. They were booing me for saying I wouldn't have sex with a person, by the way, in a room. <laughs> and so she does a thing, because I knew the band. It was The yeah. band was Braids. I knew yeah. them. And she did a thing where she kind of pretended to go off stage. And I said, no, 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 Katie, it's not personal. It's just I have some policies, and some of them happen to be a little racist. That's all. And that was the whole thing. Not terribly funny. Oh, by the way, I should say I was introduced by Damian Abraham as a guy who just had a kid, because my son had just been born. So it was this wholesome thing, and then I twisted it by doing a comment on racism (laughs) or prejudice and uh, a little sex joke. Yeah. I come off stage, and various people are like, holy shit, no one's done that. I remember the crew loved it. I did it in the the dry run, the dress rehearsal. And they loved it. They're like, holy, no one's done that. Like that's and to the point where one of my fellow prominent colleagues who had done his own sincere introduction in dress rehearsal showtime switched it to be about sex. Very low brow, but it was totally in the spirit of norm. Yeah. And I realize that now. And I think in retrospect, it might have cost me work. Wow! Because I was, I, I had a, I, I, I'm fuzzy on this because I ended up having a position at our former company, the CBC, mm-hmm. and then I got interviewed to do a different position, which I got, and it was a promotion. But in the interview, one of the people said, "Of course you wouldn't, you wouldn't make a joke like that again from the Polaris Prize." And I was like, "What? No, 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 no! I'm not that guy. I just did it because I thought it. Everyone's so serious, and I wanted to make fun of it." But it appeared. It, I then I was wow. let go, and I often thought like I'm trying to wrestle with why I was let go because me and a, one other person was let go on the same time, and we were both people of color covering marginalized music scenes. Yeah, and I always was like, is that why really, or was it still that I was like norm, norm difficult, yeah. like norm wild and crazy? My point in this long story is, you came on, you were the host of Q. I don't know if you remember this, but you were on stage and we were having our talk show chat. And I said, uh, can I give you my resume? And you were like, uh, uh, okay. And I handed you my paper and you looked at it and I was babbling and uh, just making jokes. And you, to a tremendous ovation and laughter from the crowd, you said, this is actually your resume. Because <laughs> you thought it was like a bit. And James, my sidekick, James Keese was like, Vish, seriously, you're applying for a job right now? But I was serious, can I? Because I was like, "Can you get me to be a guest host on Q sometime? I think I could do it." And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." Like it was very awkward, but you ran with it, and I appreciated it. And all this to say, I don't like how our industry chews us up and spits us out sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. And sorry, that was very long, but I just no, wanted to share no, <laughs> all of it. No, no, I, I agree, and I've been thinking a lot through the pandemic about the when we get back to it. And what I want, well, what what will it be when we get back to it? And what do I hope it will be? And what I hope it will be is a culture around music that we love. You know, we were talking earlier about 
coming from a place of love and how you do this show. I never, whenever I listen, I never think for a second about like, oh yeah, Vish has to do his homework. Like, I always just hear your genuine interest in whoever you're talking to. And it's like, that's part of the culture around music that I love and going to shows and wearing bands that you love or you're friends with their merchandise and all that, all that's all that stuff, you know, and not this disposable instant thing that we're evolving into and yeah i i don't i'd have no qualms saying that because i don't feel like i'm saying that from a old fuddy curmudgeonly place i'm saying that from a place of like no i've been in it once it's when it's been this instant thing and it's like whatever i i still do it and i've been yeah. in it when it when it felt more fun and more yeah. healthy and felt like there was more opportunities for people to participate in a way yep. that was like just interesting and and fun and so uh that's i don't know that i i love i love all that i have fond memories vish of like all the times that we've interacted whenever i think of you i think this is a guy that was championing me way back way way back took a real genuine interest in what i was doing and cared about it and and you always you always uh also said how much you cared about it. like it didn't seem like you were looking around to see if others agreed you were yeah, just like true. no i yes. i like this and i think it's really great and i think it's actually great on this level of of being good and um so the appreciation and respect is very mutual and wow. when i again when i think about the culture around music that i love i think about people like you well, I appreciate that, and I think we're also getting back to the truth. I think sometimes that's my thing. You you have this perspective also because you were on a show where they would be like, here's who you're talking to, and you'd have to be like, okay. Yeah. Every day yeah. when you hosted that radio show, you were like, I like this person, I don't like this, I don't know this person. I, I'm sure you'd ever thought, oh, I, I, dis- I hold this person in great disdain. <laughs> but there were probably times where like, oh, I'm not really a fan of that, yep. but okay. Yep. And I don't have to do that. Uh, and uh, But at the same time, I do want to be supportive and open to things that I don't, I don't understand. Like, yep. I'm, anyway, I don't mean to make this. No, about I mean, me, and, but that, and there, there is a beauty to that too. I love, I, I did enjoy that when I was on Q. Is like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to encounter something I didn't know about. Yeah, and it means I like the fact that I knew it means something to somebody, and so I yes. want to care for them. And even with hip hop evolution, you know, like I, I obviously love hip hop, but there's scenes I didn't know anything about or wasn't. Yeah you know that curious about um and then hey but it's important and it's important to hip-hop and it's important to certain people so i yeah. i want to do same justice to it as i would do to the stuff yeah. that i fell in love with so there is something totally good about that but i guess what i'm getting at is just uh is just how you participate in the culture is yeah. like is good you know, it's from a place of, of love and respect. And, and that does not in any way diminish your ability to be analytical and critical and thoughtful. In fact, it improves it. Well, I mean, I really appreciate that. You could have said funny and sexy in that litany of things, but you didn't, which I appreciate too. I can live with that. Uh, no, I, yeah, it means a lot to me. And I, and right back at you. Like when I, 
Sorry if I clumsily quoted your lyrics back to you. It can be a bit awkward to do that. I know that. But at the same time, you're dialed in, man. Like, I really appreciate that you're thinking about things on a grand scale and and you're self-effacing, but you're also like, you're humble and self-effacing, but I think you're also very resolute. You have your convictions. You have your thoughts. It's this record and your last record and the records before it even have these moments of outspokenness that I think uh, are really significant. And I hope people... Cool. You're like me, too, I think, and, and, and coming from the same place. You might package some deep thoughts in a joke. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I think back on the story I just told, which I have not really told that story before about the whole Polaris thing and how I felt about it, but to me, I was trying to make at least one comment on the situation in an awkward but truthful way and also to be like, make myself the buffoon. Again, Norm. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make a, a comment on what's going on. I'm kind of the ass in this story, but hopefully you leave thinking, yeah, wait a minute. There are a lot of, we do seem to be celebrating a lot of white people all the time, or we, we yeah. are seeing whatever, uh, you yeah. know. But anyway, uh, listen, we love each other. That's clear. Yes. Uh, I, uh, that's good. Thank you. So thank you for making this record. Where can future plans, I'm guessing at this point, impossible to really speculate about what you're going to be doing? Yeah, I, I, the plan is we will announce, I will announce a tour soon, and I, I'm thinking it will be in April and May of next year. Okay, Just great. to be as, as safe as possible. So yeah, the, all that news is coming soon, and um, people can keep up on the latest and greatest at Shag K Music is most of my handles. Um, yeah. But yeah, thanks for this. I always look forward no. to this. No, I appreciate it too. If we can go out on uh, one song, oh, and like as we're speaking, I should say for people who don't know, this record Tao is out today. I believe is it October first? The record that's right comes out. That's so right. this record is out as you're listening to this today. It's out if you're listening to it beyond today. It was out on October first. Is there a song that we can go out on mm-hmm. uh, right now? If you can choose one from the record and and also explain why. Is that possible? Sure. Well, we've been talking about slot machines a little bit, and I'd like to go out on that song. It's a song where, the, yeah, the, the the concept is pretty simple. I'm talking about uh, how much in our society is addictive, deliberately yeah. addictive, and uh, kind of keeps us in a kind of unthinking state, bouncing from one high to another and how it's designed that way but it's it's fun and it's got some bounce to it and uh i yeah i I like the song i think it's a fun song we didn't put it out as a single but it's it's a fun song so i think that's a good one to go out on his slot machine is the one i was alluding to that has basically two distinct parts yeah it has it has two distinct parts and yeah and and the kanye reference couldn't afford a a laptop named her daughter Adele, and it hurts because her favorite singer is Patti LaBelle. Yeah, <laughs> it's got that. Yeah, and the beat, the beat change, the production change is quite radical. And when yeah. it kicks into that second gear or second section, it's marvelous. Like Thank it's you. just like moves me. Uh, Dope. Uh, like literally on every level. Okay, so let's go out on this uh, now from the brilliant new record Tao by Shad. This is Slot Machines. Shad, I love you, man. Thank you so much for this, and I wish you the best of luck in the future, and I hope we talk again soon. Love you, Vish. We'll talk soon. Slap machine. Slap machine. Slap machine. Slap machine.
percent off sale. So I go to that shop, hoping that's the jackpot. Got matching hat, socks, and black watch, but that slot failed. Need to keep trying. So I say, let me buy this delicious deep fried cheese covered meat pie. Need a sweet lime tea, then I treat myself to a free live girl and some knee highs. And check texts in my tweets for a reply. Refresh, 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 deep sigh. Swear one of these times, keep playing slots. Like, let me try tomorrow. Promise this was just a off night. Maybe this chick, this click, this trip. It's funny how we broke and they selling us a quick fix. Selling us addictions and sickness. The business of sugar fat likes and alike. It's no different than slot machines, slot machines. Slot machines, slot machines. From pop machines to pocket screens. Land when the quick cash ends and the big crash dizzy from the quick fast spins and the whiplash like hitting the big black bends. My friends at hard times like this mademoiselle that always thought she'd own a boat. Now she's having a sale, couldn't afford a laptop. Named her daughter Adele, and it hurts 'cause her favorite singer's Patti LaBelle. Shorty dropped out of college around the college dropout. I co-op intern when she copped out. I started popping when her first kid popped out. Rock bottom till she heard this and rocked out. 'Cause they taught us to compete and I. And said your body's not complete until you operate. They want us all to want what we got is great and God is great. That money talks but doesn't got a lot to say. Some slots to play. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I feel as though I didn't properly acknowledge how flattered I was by Shad's compliments there towards the end. I, I mean, I love the guy. He's very kind to me. You heard all that. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to say uh, thank you once again, Chad. I mean, what, what, that was a lot. Maybe that's why I didn't say anything. It was a lot. It was a lot of compliments, and I wasn't expecting it. But anyway, thank you, as always, Chad, for your time, and in particular, and specifically, in this instance, I want to thank you for appearing on this, the 640th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever anyone gets their podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me, 
sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram, at vishkana, if you so desire. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain the podcast. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. There are still some supplies, but I don't know how much longer they're going to last. So get get a hold of me on Patreon. There. Again, patreon.com slash Control. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca, and also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. If you're in any of those areas and you want to learn more about them, I have linked to their respective web hubs uh, in the podcast description. So click away and get some pizza books, coffee, and donuts in that order, maybe. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for uh, letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim and his wondrous universe of music at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Shad. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll uh, check out Shad's new album, Tao, and all his other music. It's really outstanding. And if you like what you heard today, uh, please consider subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it and maybe they'll do the same you know just spread the word about the show it means a lot and it works to uh, sustain the show sustain interest in the show and sustain my interest in doing the show anyway I will talk to you very soon thanks again be well bye for now sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.